blood, that we are saved by him, and that he is coming again one day. Y'all believe that, don't you? I sure hope so. And he tells us to do this until his return. And so tonight, as we focus our songs, as we focus our message, and as we focus on the Lord's Supper, as we partake, and we think not just about indwelling sin, but rather may we focus more about our indwelling Savior. Our indwelling Savior who one day is coming back to redeem us and restore us forevermore. And that there will be no more heartache, no more tear, no more sorrow. And we will be with our Lord who bought us with his blood. I want to open us up in prayer tonight. And then we're going to stand and, and sing a couple of songs uh, before we uh, get going. But let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for each one that's here tonight. God, we thank you for the worship that has taken place uh, this morning and throughout the day. And Lord, we're not just here to worship you when we gather in this place, but Lord, we're to worship you in our hearts wherever we are. Lord, we're have a, to have an attitude of worship, a, an attitude of prayer. And Lord, I know that today has certainly um, had its challenges as every day does. But God, I do know that you are good, that you are faithful. And Lord, that as we focus our songs tonight and focus the sermon and, and the partaking of the Lord's Supper, that tonight we would focus on the shed and precious blood of Jesus Christ for our sins and Lord, that one day he's going to call us out of here. Lord, you're going to bring us back unto yourself. And Lord, so shall we ever be with you. Lord, help us to long and look forward to that day and that tonight our hearts would be chastened, our hearts would be encouraged, our hearts would be strengthened by the power of your word and the power of your spirit. Lord, watch over us tonight, guide and direct us. May you receive all the glory and honor which you deserve tonight. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all hear me okay? Y'all hear me okay all the way in the back? I don't need that mic, do I? 323 at the cross. And while you're turning there, let me point something out to you. On the first verse, second line, would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as I? I like to change that right there for, for sinners such as I to change it to for such a worm as I. So that's, uh, that's the only change I'll make on this song. So please stand if you're able, and we'll sing the first, second, and last verse at the cross.
couple of pages. Hymn number 326, Blessed Redeemer, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made, the law being made a curse for us. Galatians 3.13. Let's sing about up Calvary's mountain. Turn with me to Revelation chapter number 5 this evening. Revelation chapter number 5. We're going to be looking at the entirety of Revelation chapter 5 this evening to see one key theme. Worthy is the Lamb. Our Lord is worthy. 
And we're going to see the image that takes place here. Of course, I know the moment that you turn or think about the book of Revelation, you immediately start thinking about beasts and creatures and wrath and tribulation and everything else. And I want you to know this, the great truth here is that we find the church in chapters 1, 2, and 3, and the church is up out here. I'm not going to be here for no tribulation. You might be. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I'm gone. And that's what we long and look forward to, that God calling us out of here. But in chapter 5, the Lord gives us an image and a glimpse into the heavenlies, a glimpse of His glory, a glimpse of the worthiness of the Lamb, and then we're going to see the worship of the Lamb. Tonight, as we hear the Word of God opened, and as we partake of the Lord's Supper in a short little while, it is to show forth the worthiness of the Lamb of God, and it is to worship the Lamb. Worship is not just something that we sing. Worship is not even just something that we do, but worship takes place as well in the, in, in the sacraments of, of taking and partaking of the Lord's Supper. It draws us together as the body of Christ, as well as it draws us closer to the Lord. And so tonight I want to read for us uh, the whole chapter, verses 1 through 14, and I'll pray and ask God to help us and to give us what we need tonight. It says, And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written with in and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and on the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth in the all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, and they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory. And power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for the reading of your word, for the song sung, for the worship lifted. Lord, that we might focus tonight on the Lamb of God, slain for the sins of the world. Lord, I pray that you would protect my heart and my mind, that you would open up my mouth, that you might speak, and God, that you would... Point us to the cross. Point us to your goodness. Point us to your faithfulness tonight. Lord, that we would not see, rather, our worthiness, but rather we would see your worthiness, God. Lord, that we might have our hearts changed. We might have our hearts brought unto you tonight. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Verses 1 through 4, we look at this main issue of there is one seated upon the throne. Tonight, at the very core of everything that we must understand in all doctrines of Scripture and in every part of our life is that God is on the throne. This is not a throne built by man. This is not a throne built by the hands of men. This is not a throne that can be uh, having someone come on and off and on and off and every four years switch out who's sitting on that throne. Rather, this is the throne of which God Himself created. This is the throne of which God alone has the right and authority to sit upon. The idea of a throne and someone that sits upon one is someone who rules, someone who reigns, someone who has all authority, all power. In a kingdom, uh, in in today's world, or rather, I guess in yesteryear, where there were kings and queens that ruled uh, the kingdoms, when they sat on the throne, they did so in an authoritative manner to show their authority and to express rule and to even express out their decrees. And we find as John is being seen and shown these heavenly things to write down, he says, I saw in the right hand, and by the way, the right hand is one that shows an authoritative thing, a, a respect, an honor, of a, a rights that he has there. But in the right hand of him that sat on the throne, we find that the sovereign God of the universe upon his throne ruling over all things, and he is preparing to unleash the end of all things. I don't know when the end of all things is, but I know that it is coming. I know that we are one day closer today than we were yesterday. There is much mystery to the end of all things. And and anyone who claims to be an expert in end times, I will tell you, is no expert. Anyone who claims to be an expert in everything and all that there is to know about God certainly has only begun to scratch the surface to know who God is. May we be humble enough, each one of us, to know that God is far richer, far deeper than we could ever possibly imagine, and that's why He's worthy of worship, because He alone is God. He sits upon this throne, and He is about to unleash the end of all things, and this is a future event. God is going to unleash the end of all things, and I thank God that those of us who are in Christ will not be on this earth when the wrath of God is absolutely poured out upon this world, that, by the way, is sinful and deserving and must face His wrath. The reason why God is good and just Because of that, he must send forth his wrath. He must send forth his justice. But in his hand, there is a sealed scroll. It is a book that is written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. The importance of this is that it has writing all inside the scroll as it's written like it was supposed to be, but as well as on the outside of the scroll. It signified the writing in the day. If you were to write not just on the inside of the scroll, but as well on the outside that you had much to say, that it was an important letter, it was an important scroll, but as well as it would be sealed, signifying that it was a private scroll not meant for any eye to see. That what is in it is vitally private and important. Now this is for the eyes of someone alone who is worthy, and as we're about to find, there is no one else worthy in heaven, on earth, or under the earth, visible or invisible, only the Lamb of God Himself. Jesus said in His earthly ministry that it is God the Father who has bestowed the right to judge, and Jesus one day will judge. Tonight, as we come to the Lord's table, that should sober our hearts. If your heart is not right before God, may we get it right right now. And know that it it is very well possible all you must do is confess your sins before God, and He will, because of His justice, his justness and his, his justice and his faithfulness, he will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank God because of his blood and his sacrifice for us. 
It is also sobering reality that one day we all will stand before God. We all will stand before Him. You will give an account for you. You will not give an account for anyone else. As a matter of fact, I will give an account for me, but I will also give an account not for all of your sins, but rather for what I had to say to you, the way in which I taught you, and even decisions made. And to be honest, that's the thing that makes me quake and tremble every time I'm out in this pulpit. I do not take it lightly, for it is a difficult thing if we understand the reality of who God is and who we are. He says, though, in this book, it's sealed, and a seal with seven seals, the Roman law of the time that is written required a will to be sealed seven times. And this was illustrated by the wills that were left behind by Caesar Augustus and Vespasian. For a Roman, what they would do in their will, which is what they're leaving behind, it shows all that they owned, all that they had rights and privileges to, all that they were leaving behind for someone else. Uh, it was an important deal, right? Everyone in your house has a cabinet, whether it's a filing cabinet or a drawer or someplace that you might have forgotten that has all of your important documents, right? It's got everything. Uh, somewhere in my house, wherever Cammie has it, has all that stuff. And, but we think we all have that spot. It's for a reason. But here this spot for this is in the right hand of God because He is about to pass it to the one, or rather, Jesus is going to come and take it out of the right hand of Him that sat upon the throne because He alone is going to be the one that has the right to open it up. But the importance of this as well is seeing that the number seven of the uh, sealed with seven seals, seven is the number of completion, perfection, and the Scripture. It is also in showing an order for the scroll to be read that the seals must be broken in successional order. It must be not this scroll and this, uh, rather this seal to be opened and then we'll open up this one and see if we can open it up. It must be done in order or else that scroll will not be opened. What we find in immediately following this chapter and into chapter 6 is what we find with the rest of the book of Revelation. We find the seals and the trumpets and the bowls of the vile judgments. And the seals are literally opened up. And what is opened up, as we're going to find, is going to be something that's wrathful and something that's difficult to deal with. Something that I thank God that those of us who are in Christ will not have to see or, or, or bear witness to on this earth. But as well, the sealed documents were hidden and only the owner could have the authority to open the seals and disclose the content. Now, I want to look at the identity of it. The identity of this is one that as we see the context of the book of Revelation, we see the seals, trumpets, and bowls, judgments to follow the great tribulation or during the tribulation period. The consummation of the created world and of human history is being brought together to a final judgment and a final restoration for the people of God. God is not just going in the rest of this book to unleash absolute hell on earth and absolute wrath upon those who deserve it, but He is also doing that so that He might bring forth His justice, but that's so that way He can make things right and new and restore and make a new heaven or new earth for His people wherein dwelleth righteousness. You and I are not just longing looking forward to heaven, we're looking for a city, a heavenly city, which will come down at the end of this book of which God is making and preparing for you and I to dwell with Him forever, where there will be no more need of the sun or the moon or the stars. There will be no need of anything because He will provide all things for us. He will be the source of light, the source of warmth, the source of day, an eternal day. He will be the one that from His throne will come the river of life and on either side will be uh, the tree of life. And we'll see uh, these beautiful things that you and I on this earth cannot even begin to imagine or fathom. I, I think two things tonight. One, we cannot fathom the depth or the horribleness of what hell will be like. But on the other side, you and I cannot even begin to imagine or understand the beauty of what heaven is like right now. 
that gives us hope that those who have gone on to be with the Lord right now are far greater than we could even possibly begin to imagine. It also gives us the hope, too, that one day you and I will be as well. The identity then continues on that it says, as we continue, it says, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? This is a great mystery of God that should be finished, that will be finished. This great mystery that is about to be unfolded. Ultimately, what we find is that this that is about to be opened is the wrath and justice of God against a sinful world. That is what Jesus alone has the right to open up, and that's what He's about to do. It says, though, and notice this, that no man is able to open it up in heaven or in earth or under the earth, and who can do so? It's, it's hopeless. And he says that John sees that there's no one who's able to open it up, and he wants to know what's in it. He wants that to be opened up, that, that God might be glorified, that God's decree might go forth. And he weeps because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither even to look thereon. But notice this. We find now Jesus the worthy one. You see, the, the whole idea of the inspection of this whole thing is that John looks and he sees that there's no one there. Everyone else looking around, there's no one who is able to open this up. Why? Because morally no one has the right to because John is a sinful man as you and I. He has just been given a glimpse though of God working through him in such a way to give us this letter. Furthermore, we find that no one else in heaven, not the angels are strong enough or mighty enough or authoritative enough to, to open up this book. There's no created being in heaven or in earth that is worthy morally or rightly or divinely to open this up. There are none. Not man, not angels. One commentator writes, the secrets of the world belong to God and no man can pry into them. Who knows what a day or night may bring forth? Who knows what this year holds in its dark unknown future? Even the strong angels of God are unable to open the book. Only God can unseal the seals and read the secrets of men. What is not practiced often today is if you write letters, most of us don't have the wax seals anymore. This gives us the idea and the image of a wax seal where the stamp of those and the one who wrote it and the one who is an authority and has right to that seal, it represents who they are, his character. And that's what we find here as well. But we find now Jesus the worthy one in verse 5 through 7. Jesus the worthy one who is our hope. He is our everything. It says, and one of the elders said unto me, weep not. He says, behold. The word behold is important. It means to look, to observe, to, to cast your attention to it, to focus everything. He says, all the busyness of heaven all around you right now. John, look, behold, behold, look. Tonight, I would say, as we open up this word and as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, behold and look to that cross. Behold and, and look to your Savior. Behold and do not continue to look at sin, past, present, or future. And behold, do not begin to look or focus on your unworthiness or even your unrighteousness or whatever ache or ailment or pain or sorrow you have. But behold and look to Christ and Christ alone. It says, Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Lions, as you know, are just small, dainty little creatures, aren't they? No. They are mighty. As a matter of fact, they had this movie that came out a long time ago called The Lion King, right? Why? Because 
They're the king of the jungle, aren't they? They're the king of, of what's around, right? The biggest one is, is the one in charge, right? He's the mightiest, the strongest. He's the one that has the authority. When he comes around, right, he, he's the one in charge. He's the one calling the shots. But see, I want to turn our attention, though. Why does he say, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah? Because the Messiah is foretold to come from the tribe of Judah and pictured as a line with authority, power, strength, and conquering. I'll read for you this verse. Genesis chapter 49 tells us about this. Genesis chapter 49, verse 9 says, Judah is a lion's whelp. Now, the word whelp there is a King James word for a lion's cub, a lion's child. It is Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey. My son, thou art gone up. He stooped down and he crouched as a lion and as an old lion. Who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. That is who our God is. The lion of the tribe of Judah. One with authority. One with power. One with strength. One who is going to be conquering. One who is foretold. That same Jesus came forth from the right place, the right time, the right tribe, the right everything. God's word proves true time and time again to show that he is worthy, that he is the promised one. He says, not only behold the line of the tribe of Judah, but behold the root of David. He continues to show that the lineage of David is promised to bring forth the promised Messiah, the promised Savior. And it would be through the lineage and the loins of David that ultimately Jesus would come. You can trace back the physical lineage. You can even trace a spiritual lineage. I believe that there is a spiritual lineage that we often miss in Scripture that is a spiritual lineage of faith to those who are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone are of the same household as the household of faith. Those who have trusted in the Lord. From we find uh, the very beginning, those who walked with the Lord, uh, those who uh, sought the Lord, as we have been studying on Tuesday nights through the book of Genesis, we're going to find through these genealogies that there are certain genealogies that lead to Christ. Why? Because they are faithful. They are the ones who maybe are having sin in their own hearts or lives at times because they too are just but men, but they put their faith in God and God alone. That is what we're dealing with tonight. And tonight, you and I are of that same household and the same lineage. You and I might not be Jews tonight, but you and I are of the same household and heirs of faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. But I want to turn with you in just a moment to Revelation twenty-two sixteen. Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Jesus reiterates his lineage and in so doing, David being the rightful king of Israel, Jesus is not just the rightful king of Israel, but the rightful king of kings and lord of lords of all of creation. For it is by him and through him that all things were made, and uh, by him everything was made. Nothing, nothing was made without him. Nothing came into existence without his knowledge, without his power, without his authority, without his decree, without his work. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, literally around the throne, in the middle of the throne, right there in the middle of it all, in the middle of all the action of this heavenly scene, it says, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain. 
the lamb as it had been slain, to be slain does not mean that it just passed away with no blood being spilt. It does not mean that it just peacefully went out or fell asleep and that's it, didn't wake up. Slain has the idea to be butchered. It immediately takes the audience and the reader of this letter back to the Old Testament with the Passover lamb. You and I see the Sunday school pictures of the tabernacle and the temple and the outside of it where sacrifice would take place. And you know what they never put in children's pictures? Blood and animal carcasses. But you know what was there? Blood and animal carcasses. It was a bloody thing. Why? Because the Scripture said that without the, uh, without the shedding of blood, there would be no remission of sins. And today the same is true. Without the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you will not be saved and cannot be saved. You must be born again and you must be cleansed by the blood of Christ and Christ alone. There is nothing else that can cleanse you. There is nothing else that can take away your spot, your blemish, your pain, your heartache, your condition, your sin, or the wrath of God against you except for the blood of the Lamb. This Lamb as it had been slain. I want to turn to a several Scriptures here. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. It says, but with the precious blood of Christ. I love that phrasing, don't you? The precious blood of Christ. Blood is not just the, the red stuff that came out of Jesus, but it's the idea of His absolute death and slaughter upon Calvary's mount. We sometimes lose the gore and the violence of the cross. It was physically violent as well as spiritually violent as the wrath of God was poured out upon Him and He who knew no sin became sin itself. I've just read recently in a book by William, William Gurnall dealing with the issue as he brings forth. He says and gives illustration that all of those that are in hell today combined could not bear the weight and the wrath of sin and the divine wrath of God Himself. But yet Jesus, for hours upon the cross, is the only one who in all of human history and all of eternity could ever bear the weight and the wrath of divine judgment and become our sin to pay the price for our sin and to shed His blood so that all those who call upon Him will be cleansed by His blood. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stain. There is a grace that is greater than our sin and is found through His precious blood. As First Peter continues in one, uh, chapter 1, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb, notice, without blemish and without spot, Jesus had no spot, He had no blemish, and He could not. It's not just that He would not sin, He could not sin. He, he would not dare to, nor could He, because He was God. Only God could take the wrath of God. Only God could pay the price of justice for sin. He says, Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. It was Jesus who was very much there in eternity past with the Father and the Holy Spirit in perfect harmony and unity and completion and holiness who said, I will go. I will put upon flesh. 
I will experience hunger and thirst and temptation and sorrow and sickness and pain, and I will bear the wrath and I will shed my blood that these ungrateful, unloving, unlovable, sinful, unrighteous, and holy creatures might be saved and redeemed through my blood so that the Father might be glorified and that you might glorify your Son. Foreordained before the foundation of the world. Turn with me back a few pages then to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews is perhaps one of my favorite books of Scripture. You say, well, you're not supposed to have a favorite. Well, I do. Hebrews shows us, literally building upon every other verse, that Jesus is greater. You name someone, Jesus is greater. You name something, Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than your problems, than your sin, than your past, than your future, than anything that you might have in this world. Jesus is greater. Jesus is described here in verse number 11. Excuse me, let me go to verse 28, I'm sorry. So Christ was once offered as a lamb. As John the Baptist would say, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. As a lamb from the Passover who was inspected, who was found to be spotless, who was then slain for the innocent ones, or rather for the guilty, the innocent for the guilty. So was Christ once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin unto salvation. We find that great truth that as we are about to partake of the Lord's Supper, is that not only do we remember that Jesus is the Lamb who laid down His life, but Jesus is the same Lamb who is standing at the right hand of the Father, there at the throne, who is about to take the book from the hands of the Father to then unleash wrath. We say, what does that have to do with communion? It has everything to do with it. Because our Lamb, the Lamb of God, not only shed His blood for our sins, but that He is the perfect and complete sacrifice. As David Guzik writes, the idea that the sacrifice of Jesus is still fresh and current before God the Father. There is nothing stale or outworn in the work of Jesus on the cross. Thousands of years later, it is still fresh as the day He died on the cross. It still saves souls. It still saves sinners. It still brings hope. It still brings a future. It still brings peace. What Christ has done has been once and for all. He is the Lamb. The Lamb is then described as having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth to all the earth. The horns show kingship and authority. The spirits is the idea of the sevenfold spirits of God. The, the idea is really the Holy Spirit sent from Christ. It was Jesus who said, I am sent from the Father, and I will not leave you comfortless, but I will send forth a comforter. And we find yet that the Trinity, the triune, thrice holy God, has always ever existed and ever worked together in perfect, completed harmony from creation to redemption to consummation. Christ, the Son, and God the Father, and the Holy Spirit are ever at work. The truth there about this is found in Zechariah chapter 3. I'll turn there for you so you don't have to because finding Zechariah is a little difficult. Zechariah chapter 3 verse 8 says, O hear now, O Joshua the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant the branch. And it's all caps. 
a title for Jesus our Lord. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of the land in one day. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. That day, my friend, is coming where the Lord Jesus will show forth His divine authority and He will judge and then He will set up shop and rule and reign on this earth forever and forever and forever. And then we find in verse 7, And He came and took the book out of the right hand of Him that sat upon the throne. He does so because He's the only one that can. Now let's look at verse 8 to 14. We find the worship of the Lamb. First of all, verses 8 through 10 show the four beasts and the 24 elders and their worship before the Lamb. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and 20 elders, remember they were just the same ones looking around and saw that no one else was worthy to take it up. And they see, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the Lamb as it had been slain. It says, and they fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. Find here, Worship, true worship, is a falling down, a humility, absolutely putting your face in the dirt, realizing who you are before God in an absolute awe and worship. Worship has been lost in the church today. Worship of the heart, a true, absolute obedience and spreading forth of knowing that all I have is Christ. We find they then play instruments and they pour out the, the odors, the prayers of the saints. It is described in Psalm 141, verse 2, Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of mine hands is the evening sacrifice. Your prayer is a sweet-smelling sacrifice, a sweet incense before God. Keep praying, dear saints of God. It's poured out before, before Him as, a, as an offering here as they bow down to worship Him. And then they say and sing a new song. This song has not been sung before. Saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for Thou wast slain and Thou hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood. Thou art worthy. If only every time we walked in those back doors and we said, Lord, You're worthy. If only every time when we left those back doors we said, Lord, You're worthy. If only every time we even took a breath and our heart had a beat, we realized, God, you are worthy. The Lamb is worthy. Why is He worthy? Because the Lamb was slain and risen to redeem all those by faith, and He does so by His blood. It cleanses us from sin. Who all can be saved? He says, by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. You know what that means? Around that throne, there will be many who sing this new song, who have never held a hymn book before, who have never worn the clothes that you and I wear or been in the culture that you and I wear, there will be plenty in heaven that you didn't even know were going to be there. And you know what? We'll probably surprise somebody too that they thought we weren't going to be there. I want to thank God that by the precious blood of Jesus Christ that all those from every Kindred and tongue and people and nation have the opportunity to be born again and to be cleansed from all unrighteousness by faith alone in the Lamb of God alone who was slain and risen for us, who has conquered, who has prevailed over sin, death, hell, and the grave 
so that all those who trust in Him might live in victory both now and forever and forever. He is worthy of worship. And he says, And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. You want to know what's going to happen during the middle of millennial reign? And into eternity? You and I have jobs to do. You and I will be given authority of that will come from the Lord because of what we've done for Him. Those who are faithful and much here will be faithful to Him there and shall be blessed. The, the last here shall be called first there. And we see the Beatitudes to spring forth into what the kingdom will be like. Furthermore, from then the worship of the angels, verse 11 and 12, it says, And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels. I've never heard an angel before, but it must be absolute awe-inspiring. Round about the throne, the throne of this sovereign God, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. The word that is used is the word myriads. It is one that shows an innumerable host. It is literally that of 10,000 times 10,000 times 10,000 times 10,000 is billions upon billions. It's literally a host and a number that you and I cannot even begin to, tha- to fathom. And that is who is now bowed down before the throne and singing and crying and crying out and praising the Lord. And they say with a loud voice, with a loud voice they cry out, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Notice how many things we just numbered here. That He's worthy of power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. How many is that? You guessed it. Seven. Seven. Completion. Perfection. That it shows the sevenfold worthiness of Christ the Lamb. And He will demonstrate all seven of those throughout not just the tribulation, but throughout all of eternity. That He will forever show forth His power. His riches, His wisdom, His strength, His honor, His glory, and His blessing forever and forever. Amen. He is worthy. Verse 13 and 14. Worship of all creation. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such are in the sea. Can you think of any creature not named there? Of course not. Every creature of all creation. It says in all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. The word Amen is the Greek word Amen, which means let it be, uh, or let this come to pass. It is a sign of agreement. It is them thunderously saying, Amen. We agree. Let it be so. Let what we just said be true both now and forever and forever. Amen. And it says that they then fall down and they worship Him that liveth forever and ever. Why? Because we serve a living Savior today. We serve a living Savior who is at the right hand of the Father awaiting for this time to come where He will bring all things unto Himself once more. Today, we find that this worship is to be given to the Lamb forever. And to that, may our hearts tonight say Amen. And as we're about to transition over into the time of the Lord's Supper, may as we partake of each element, as it's passed, as the music plays, that we will reflect not on how sinful we are or our circumstances of life, but of how worthy the Lamb of God is. May our hearts be turned as we partake 
and we think about that shed precious blood to buy us from our sins. For you are bought with a price. A price of the blood of Jesus. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for this evening. We thank You for this Scripture. We thank You now for this time as we are about to pass out the elements and to receive them, Lord, that we may have our hearts right before You this evening. God, that tonight would not be about anything within us or anything around us, but it would be about the worthiness of the Lamb who was slain for us and risen. And Lord, that we might long and look forward to His return and to this glorious eternal day where we will gather around the throne together. Lord, we will worship perfectly, completely, and with our whole hearts forever and forever. Lord, may we see Your worthiness tonight. May we be humbled. May we be healed. May we be encouraged by You tonight. In Christ's name, Amen. I'm going to ask those who are going to be passing out the elements to come and place themselves in the front pew up here.